In Joseph's preparation to reign, you know, to, to come into that place God had ordained for him to, to feed the nations, to preserve Israel, he had to go through a lot of preparation. And we've looked at several aspects of that so far, how he had to flow in the gifts. You know, he had that, the prophetic was flowing uh, in him, uh, the dreams and visions. He was able to triumph in, through faith, having eyes of faith, um, to see that God was working and holding on to the vision that he had. The word of the Lord was being purified in him, being tried seven times in him, in his different aspects of his trials. And he also ascended out of the pit of discouragement and you know, fear and worry and doubt and all those things that uh, were trying to come against him and prevent him from coming to the throne. Also that he could become the firstborn among his brothers. And he took that burden of caring for his family upon himself. And, and in reality, Joseph became the most fruitful of all his brothers. And that's signified by his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. You know, together they became the most fruitful, the abundant, you know, at least in numbers uh, of, of the tribes of Israel. You know, you could say the tribe of Joseph was the, the largest tribe. But there's a, a truth that can be seen in Joseph's life as well as in many of the heroes of faith, is that before they were lifted up and became fruitful, they were reduced and taken quite low and had virtually nothing in that sense of, of the fruit and of the promise and of what God uh, wanted to do in them. You know, Joseph, before he could function in his ministry, he had to go down to Egypt and he, and he went down and down and down and you know both naturally and uh you know spiritually into that prison and into that uh you could say or or maybe you could say conceptually that joseph was brought low in multiple ways one in being betrayed by his family i mean that's that's a low blow if you if there is one by his flesh and blood and he had to live with that and overcome that as we talked about. And then, right, so there's that, there's that aspect. Then he had to, to deal with being a slave, being held captive and losing his freedom in Potiphar's house and, and meet God in it. But then the deepest aspect was a prisoner. But in all of that, in a day, he was lifted out. And he was brought into that place of fruitfulness. And, but there's a, a thought that we can relate to the Christian life that I think is a key to fruitfulness, a key to coming into that place of blessing and, and increase that God wants us to flow in. And it's what Jesus told us in Matthew 15 when he talked about the father as the husbandman and Jesus as the vine and the spirit as the life that is to flow to us to who are the branches. And Jesus said this in, in John 15, 1. He said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges or he, he prunes it. He snips it. He, he cuts away the extraneous 
so that it would bring forth more fruit. And it, it's this concept that Jesus wanted to make so clear to us that Jesus and the Father are diligently looking for that beautiful spiritual fruit, that eternal fruit to be developed in our lives. Now, Pastor Jason, in, in one of his Bible studies, shared a really uh, a beautiful thought uh, about some of these verses in John 15, and he was sharing about the title of the Father, which Jesus says is the husbandman. Well, you know, when God has a title, he has that from the beginning. That was in him. Even before everything else was created, when we were just a thought in him, you know, he had those titles, those aspects of himself. I hadn't really considered that his name since the beginning of time is the husbandman, that he's looking for fruit. You know, before the worlds or the universe or the heaven was created, before the fall of man, before even the fall of Lucifer, or before the angels were created, he is the husbandman, looking for that beautiful, sweet fruit to be developed in his creation. And the culmination of that is right around the corner. That really just is kind of boggles my mind. He's been waiting however many years. I mean, we, we, we know man's been on the earth 6,000 years, but he's been the husbandman many years before that. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to attempt to put a number to it, but it's a big number. That he's been waiting, as James says, for the precious fruit of the earth. Because we know the scriptures say that when he returns, and you know we won't get into it, but we know that the scriptures indicate that the time of man on earth is almost coming to an end and he's coming again. But a part of that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And what is that? It's that last great harvest where the husbandman is going to gather in those who have developed his spiritual fruit in their lives, those who have received him, and those who have grown and developed that fruit that he can partake of. It's going to be a bountiful harvest. It's going to be a joyful time, both on earth, but especially in heaven, because the husbandman is receiving the fruit that he's been waiting all those years to partake of. Of course, the fruit is in us. He's looking for those who will follow him, those who will be with the lamb that are called, chosen, and faithful, that have followed the Lamb wherever He's led them. And so He's looking for a harvest. And of course, Joseph, the message of Joseph is, is to be a laborer in the harvest, right? Because God prepared him all to uh, have a ministry to preserve the people of God. God needs laborers who will bring in the harvest but also preserve them, that they won't come in and they'll spoil. You know, when, when you bring in a harvest, but you can't process it, you can't store it because there's not laborers, that, that won't be the case in God's harvest, but he needs laborers. And that is the message of Joseph, of God working in our hearts and preparing us and raising up a people who can labor for him. It takes some work, though, in our lives. It takes some preparation, might even take some pruning, mm -hmm. some reduction. 
And it can be represented by a lot of different experiences that God will take us through to work in our hearts. It could be simple things, just, you know, maybe removing something that that isn't good for us. You know, it could be a relationship. You know, we have to be careful of relationships, especially uh, earthly ones where, you know, if they're not put in certain boundaries, they can steal away the life that comes from the vine. And that's why Paul told, Paul told us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. They're going one way. We're going another. Now, we live in this world and we have to be friendly to all. You know, we should be. But we should be joined with those who are going in the same direction as we are. Sometimes pruning can be in the form of tribulation. Right? The, the difficulties, uh, difficult uh, situations. And sometimes God will take us through even extreme situations to produce some fruit in us. But I think we, as we look in Scripture, we look in church history, we see that those who experience the deepest levels of reduction often have the opportunity to produce the sweetest fruit. The person who often comes to mind, you know, of recently in church history is Corey Ten Boom. You know, I've read some of her books, a couple of them, but she wrote a lot, actually. I was looking at it last night, the list of what she wrote. But, you know, just kind of summarizing her story, I know I've done it many times, but it's good to remember. But, you know, she, she's actually in a similar vein as Joseph of going through something so incredibly intense and difficult. I mean, she was, she literally was a prisoner, you know, probably worse than a, than a, in a prisoner, you know, in a, in a Nazi concentration camp, you know, you're, you're less than human there in their eyes. And she went through that. And of course, you know, she was arrested for hiding Jews in her house. And I didn't realize it, but her father actually passed away two weeks after that. His, the father, Corey, and Betsy, the sister, were all arrested. And the father, he, he, couldn't, he didn't make it past two weeks. So he's up, he goes up to be in his reward. He was a very godly man. So Corey and Betsy are taken to Ravensbrook. They experience such difficult things that you can read in her books. But yet... Even at their lowest point, God is in their midst, speaking to them, doing miracles, giving them promises, you know, even telling them exactly what, what they'll do after they get out. And God did all of them, which is quite amazing. But they were taken so low. And then at one point, Betsy goes on to be with the Lord and Corey's alone. But not long after that, She's released, and she begins a journey. And that journey takes her all over the world to share the message of love and forgiveness with millions of people and still millions more who can read her books. But it's a, a similar line with Joseph of a, a deep work being done of preparation to be used to preserve the people of God, to share a message of love and hope and victory and forgiveness and so forth. And so really pruning can be allow, allowing God to remove anything from our lives that will keep us from that course, that might steal the life that comes from the vine that God wants to flow in us. Sometimes it can feel very drastic, but you know the husbandman always has a purpose. He always has a purpose, and it's to bring new life. You know, 
I, I will never forget an example I saw one day going to work. It was at our old offices. They had these two ornamental trees. I don't remember what type they were. They were always, you know, blooming and they, they weren't huge trees. They were just pretty small. One day we came and they had cut them back absolutely to the nub. I thought these trees are dead. Who did they hire to do this? You know, there's nothing left. I mean, look, they still had a few branches, but literally chopped those branches off. There was nothing beyond that. And I thought, well, they're going to have to replant them. But you know, at the at by the end of that season, they had grown back and they were more full and abundant than they had been before. And I was amazed. They looked better. Right? I guess that guy did know what he was doing or that person did know what they were doing. And so, you know, it, it's really a message to us that we have to have an open heart to what God wants to do, to how he wants to work, to what he wants to add, to what he wants to remove, because he wants to bring life. And so often he'll come in with his little snippers and might snip here and there. But, you know, that's the way to greatness in the kingdom of God to increase in fruitfulness. In a sense, there, there has to always be a movement in that direction of, of a reduction taking place and an increase of Jesus in our lives. That has to continually take place. You know, even at the very end of his ministry, you know, I think of, about that extraordinary statement that John the Baptist made, you know, at his height, when all eyes are upon John, he says this in John 3 and verse 30. And John's speaking of Jesus and he says, well, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, that decrease kept on going, even in John the Baptist's life, so that God's purpose for him, who Jesus said was the greatest of all prophets, that God's purpose for him was to end his days in prison. Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. And that has to, you know, continually take place in our life. When, when we start increasing and Jesus starts decreasing, that's when the trouble starts. Or maybe when, you know, we just think, well, Jesus is still increasing, but when we stop decreasing, there's no stopping. <laughs> We're going to keep going. The kingdom of God is remarkable in how it works. You know, we can look up at the glory and majesty of Christ in heaven. You know, like Stephen, he looked up and he saw the Son of God standing, the majesty from on high. You know, we can see how, how Christ ascended the heights of spiritual Mount Zion where he reigns. But, you know, we recognize as, as we look at him in the scriptures, we recognize there was a pathway he took to get there. Because he actually arrived at the same place he was, just different. Because he started at the throne. But what happened was he started going down. That was his pathway. That's how he, he got victory in life. That's how he, he made the way for us is through going down. And so to the degree that we allow God to take us down, God will lift us up. And well, we've probably heard that vision that Sister Bailey, you know, Pastor Bailey's wife once had and she saw a picture of a ball. You know, we've all, well, most of us, at least I have. I've played with a ball in a pool. 
you know, and you, you're, you have fun trying to get it down to the very bottom of the deep end. And it's even a small ball can be really hard to get all the way down and you have to swim hard and then you let go and it just shoots up into the air. And she saw that ball being plunged deeper and deeper. But then there came a point when the ball was released and it just shot up in the air. And the Lord spoke to her and said, it's only as the ball is taken down to the depths that it will ascend up to the heights. And so in us, when we allow God to bring us down his pathway, to lead us in the same pathway he walked. Now, he's not doing anything that he didn't do himself, except he's taking us just a fraction of a degree what he experienced. But yet we still must walk that same way of submitting to the will of the husbandman so that we can bring forth precious fruit. At times, we'll have to yield our will, our activities, our desires, our ambitions to him, and he exchanges them for something so much better. At times, there will be pruning. We feel like we're being taken low, but it is the way that we're taken up in the kingdom of God. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, 4, he said, whoever shall humble himself as a little one, as a little child before me, the same is great in the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying in maturity, right? We're to go on. We're to be, you know, our goal is to be spiritual fathers and mothers in Christ, not spiritual children. But yet he's talking about position, right? A little child, when, when, the, when the parents say, well, an obedient little child, when the parents say, do something, they say, okay. They don't say, why? Why do I have to do that? Some children might. I'm not saying I never did that. But yet in the kingdom of God, right? as a little child, we realize I'm in no position to say why. I'm only in a position to, to obey and to say, okay, Lord, you know best. You're my father. Whoever will humble himself in that way will be lifted up and will become great in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, it's that place where we have no power in ourselves. We're reliant upon our heavenly father. And we say, Lord, lead me in the way you've ordained for me. And what is that way? You know, we've talked about the, the kenosis of Christ from Philippians chapter 2 where you know, talked about how Christ emptied himself. That's what that Greek word means. He emptied himself. He gave up his exalted position in heaven to become a man for us. Oh, I knew I forgot to do something this morning. I had a sli slide that we'd showed previously. It was a really nice looking slide too, showing the, the seven steps going down. I'll have to give it to Pastor Jason. He can put it on the video later. Uh, the seven steps going down. I'll read the steps here, but it's from Philippians 2 where it says he let go of his equality with God. You know, Christ made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Those seven steps he took for us, for our salvation, were all down. And, you know, Paul lists these aspects in Philippians 2, and, but he, he precedes them by this phrase, 
He says this in Philippians 2.5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. All right. Some people love that, that, that uh, verse. I think it's in Corinthians. It says, well, actually, I don't know exactly where it says, but we have the mind of Christ. We say, yes, I have the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? We just led, read seven things of what he did where he emptied himself and went down. Down, 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 seven times. And Paul says, let this mind be in you. That is the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, then we're willing to be led down, to allow him to work, to at times cut, to bring us low. And there's seasons, right? It's not just he's going to squish us down our whole life, but there are seasons we pass through where he takes us low to work in us. But thank God that's not the end because Christ arose, right? Because just as there were seven aspects to him going down, there were seven aspects to him going up. He was highly exalted, given a name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Things in heaven, in earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's a wonderful pathway that he is calling us to walk upon. And, and I say wonderful because that's the end result. That's the eternal result, following Christ to his high and holy place, to that place of abundant fruitfulness. You know, the greatest examples of fruitfulness in Scripture come from those who went through seasons of barrenness. We think of Father Abraham. He's the father of our faith. In him are found our promises that we look to, that we are inheritance, inheritors of because we are also children of faith. But he sure did go a long time without seeing that promise. God, God pruned that until just the right time when he wanted the fruit to appear. And, he, and God appeared to him and said, around this this time next year, you're going to have a son. Wow. But it was the time. But Abraham waited and he endured. You know, we could think of other saints like Job being reduced to ashes from greatness. But it was all to do a deep and lasting work so that at the end of, of the day, he would receive a double portion of fruitfulness. And perhaps the deepest work of all, I think, is Joseph. You know, Joseph is a, is a type of Christ who was brought so low, but in the end, he was doubly fruitful. And so what is interesting with Joseph is he experienced greatness himself, right, in ministry. But you know, the greatest fruit didn't come through him himself, but it came through his children, his seed. Right? The real fruit was Ephraim and Manasseh. That's where he experienced double fruitfulness. He had two sons when the other ones had one. And it became the largest tribe. You know, our inheritance is tied to what we allow God to do in us, but then also how we affect other people's lives. Our fruit is produced in that, in how we relate to others. You know, our testimony is being seen our encouragement and our strength can be seen by other people and can affect them for good. 
and it will bring forth fruit if we allow God to work in us to make us more become more like Christ. And so let's allow the husbandman to come. We're almost at that time when he is coming for his precious fruit, that he's waited a long time for that. Many years. He might need to do a little snipping still. He might need to redirect some of the life that's that we're feeding on so that it's just from the true vine. You know, I think that was interesting how it starts off in John 1. He's the true vine. There's other vines we can plug ourselves into, and we might feel like that's life, but he is the true vine. And he wants us to bring forth good fruit. Some tribulation and trouble might come our way in, in seasons. We might feel like that little ball being plunged under the water for a time and the pressure being so great, but yet we can place our trust and hope in our, in our husbandmen that his purpose is to bring forth good and abundant fruit. There comes a moment of release when it shoots up into the heights because we are following his pathway for fruitfulness. Amen. Father, we just thank you. Thank you that your title is the husbandman. And Lord, your purpose in our lives is to bring forth good and abundant fruit. And so, Lord, we just come to you. Lord, we just want to submit ourselves, our lives into your hands. Lord, that you would come and work in us, that you would bring forth abundant fruit, Lord, into our lives and into our, into our midst, Lord, into our church and our fellowship. Oh, come, Lord. Lord, bring forth that abundant fruit in us. Lord, do that work. Lord, help us to, to surrender our lives and our will to you. Lord, we even invite you to come. Lord, remove those things that, that might steal the life oh, from the true vine in us. Lord, cause the life of your spirit to increase in us and to grow and to grow. Help us to be willing to follow that pathway that, Lord, through many seasons will lead down. Oh, but we believe you will lift us up in newness of life and in great fruit. And we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you.